I would invite your attention this morning to the uh, book of 2 Peter. All of the verses will be on the PowerPoint, but we're going to be doing quite a bit of reading there, so if you'd like to take a Bible and follow along, well, I would encourage you to do that. We're going to start our reading in the book of 2 Peter. Now, I apologize, it looks like my PowerPoint doesn't quite match, so I apologize for the, it looked good on my computer at home. <coughs> Let's begin reading in 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 10. <clears throat> but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for, a new, for, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And now skipping down to verse 18, he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. In this reading, we are reminded by Peter of the events that will happen when this earth comes to an end. He says it's going to be violent. He says everything that we know as humans will be burned up. It is going to be a day that will bring fear to those who do not have God in their lives. If we go back in the same book in the first chapter of 2 Peter, he tells those first century Christians there that he wants to stir up their mind. He says, I understand that my time is over. He said, I'm about to put, this, put off this tent or this earthly body. And he said, that being the fact, he said, I want you to understand that I'm here to stir you up, to remind you of things that you've been taught. That's our purpose here today. I want us to allow God's Word to stir up our hearts by reminding us of things that we have been taught and renewing those things in our minds so that we can put them to use in our life each day. Now we're going to go back to 2 Peter, the first chapter, to use as our text this morning. And we're going to be reading there, beginning in verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith. So he's speaking to Christians. He says, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied, applied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." Take notice of what he said in verse 5. He said, But also as for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, 
to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we read in in 2 Peter 3, Peter gives us a charge in verse 18 to grow in grace and in knowledge. So I want us to look at at these scriptures that he's given us here and look at, at ways that we can apply these things in our life each day. I would like for us to key in this morning on the thought that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Peter has laid out for us a formula, if you will, for Christian living. By studying these verses this morning, I hope that you and I can understand that when we possess and cultivate these qualities that we talk about, we will be able to successfully live as Christians. And not just that, but that we can have an assurance of eternal life. Back in November of last year, Brother D. Teal stood in this pulpit and, and he spoke to us about our Christian life and what people see in us. He made a statement that I found very interesting. He said, how many times do we hear people stand in this pulpit and say we're all sinners? Brother D. said, I, take, I challenge that. I take issue with that. He said, we are Christians. We are children that are redeemed by the blood of Christ. And he said, yes, we make mistakes. We sin from time to time. But he said there is a very large contrast between the life of a sinner and the life of a Christian who sins occasionally. And I thought that very interesting. And I think we need to understand and really make an adjustment in our minds as Christians as to our mindset in this way. How many times have we had a conversation and and we've heard people say or said ourselves, can we be sure? Are we assured of our salvation? Again, we go back to these verses, and I think Peter has laid out very clearly a clear formula for us to follow in living the Christian life. Psalm 62 and verse 5, My soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Can we have the same confidence, the same boldness that David expresses here in this psalm? He said, there's no doubt in my mind what my expectation is from my God. He says, he's my strength, he's my rock. I hope that you and I, after we study these things this morning, that we can have that same boldness, that same confidence that David had. So as we go back to our reading in, first, uh, in 2 Peter 1, <clears throat> uh, verse 5, he says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So this formula that, that Peter lays out for us, he says, first of all, 
faith is foundational. He said, without faith, there's nothing to build on. And we're reminded in, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Faith is foundational. If we don't have faith, we have nothing to build on. Colossians 2 and verse 6 says, As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up, in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving one of the important keys that we must learn is that we never stop growing as a Christian we cannot be satisfied in our faith it's something that we continually add to and build upon I think of this analogy I as a kid I was taught to swim and I've been around water quite a bit but that being said, I'm not a great swimmer. I'm really good at floating. I'm good at just laying there and, and relaxing. But you know, if we have that attitude as a Christian, if we float, we're in bad trouble because the water's always moving and we're gonna be carried away if we're floating. So let's keep those things in mind. So Peter says, starting with faith, we're gonna build upon that. So let's think about faith for a minute. And I'm going to ask us all to ask ourselves the question, how is our faith? What does faith look like to me? When I think about faith, I think about those people who every aspect of their life, every decision, every action that they take is guided by the knowledge of God's Word. It's something that they live on a daily basis. It's something within them that guides every choice that they make. This is a person who demonstrates excellence of character. So, Peter said we're going to start with faith and we're going to add to that, first of all, virtue. Virtue is having or showing a high moral standard. The Strong's definition is a virtuous course of thought, feeling, or action. Again, this is a person who demonstrates excellence of character. I think the word virtue carries the proper picture to our minds. And you know, we often think today of the lack of virtue in our society. That being said, what do people see in us? What do our peers see in our daily lives? This means that we act with honor and integrity toward God and toward others. When I think about virtue, I think of moral excellence. Do we exhibit moral excellence in our speech, in our actions, and in our relationships? I think back to the time when I was a, a child and, and I would go with my dad and go into places of business. And you know, at that time, even among people that, that didn't profess to be Christians, there was a moral standard that people lived by. And just for instance, language was something that even, uh, again, those that didn't profess Christianity, there was a standard of, of speaking. Curse, curse words and foul language was not the norm. It was very much the exception at the time. But I think of that in contrast of what we see today. And I've, so many times I'm in a public place and you'll see a group of people speaking and men and women using language that is totally distasteful and, and so disrespectful. 
Rhonda and I had a conversation the other day about uh, a social media uh, post that she had seen, and it was a group, a group of mothers. And the subject was curse words and our children, their children, using curse words. And I, I was appalled to, to hear some of the things that were said on that post. There were women that were actually saying that it's okay for our preteen children, our children at all, to use curse words as long as we teach them the right the right perspective and, and where to use those things. How, how crazy has our world and our society become? If there was ever a time in need of moral excellence, this would be the time. Our generation is very much like those described in the book of Judges, where it says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And isn't that exactly where we're at today? We continue to see the moral decline in the world we live in. So again, in contrast, what do others see in you? Are we completely honest in our business dealings? What about the pictures, the comments, and the things that we like on social media? Those things that we do, do people see a reflection of Christ in us? Proverbs 10 and verse 9 says, He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. First Peter 1 and verse 15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. When we think of that scripture, there's no room for anything else. He says, be holy. We are called to a higher standard. As we move on in this formula for Christian living, Peter says, <clears throat> Peter says that we add to virtue knowledge. Now, knowledge is facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education. The Strong's definition is moral wisdom. Proverbs 2, verses 3 through 5, Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So I ask you this morning, what is your approach to gaining biblical knowledge? How many times does someone stand in this pulpit and stress the importance of daily personal Bible study? That's something that we just can't do without if we're going to grow in knowledge. But you know, when, when I think about this, I think about the technology that we have at, at our fingertips today. And, and a lot of times we talk about the challenges or the difficulty that comes along with that technology. But this is a place where we can truly put that to use in our lives. You know, the other day I was driving down the road and I had the opportunity to listen to a podcast, a sermon that Mike Minson gave. Mike Minson is an excellent teacher, but I don't get the opportunity to hear him because I don't live in Oklahoma. But again, he's a great teacher, and I was able, through the technology of, of podcast, to hear a sermon from Mike Minson. We have many talented teachers here in, in our congregation, and so many people around the Brotherhood that we have access to information, to sermons, to studies that we can help us in our personal study. I think about Ian Jones and, and the story of his life, and he's related that to us before. 
Ian, there was a time in his life that he was away from God. He was living a very sinful lifestyle. But he said when he began to make that change, that he did that by always listening to something good. He said when he was on the job, he would have his uh, earphones in and he would be listening to sermons. And he said it was that technology and that daily dose of, of scripture that helped him to turn his life around. I also have a, a close friend that has said that part of his transformation was cutting completely out secular music and listening to Christian music, listening to podcasts and sermons. So there's so many things that are at our disposal that can help us as we grow and as we uh, uh, continue to grow in knowledge. Do we have a hunger for the truth? I think of Christ's teaching in Matthew 13 and when he taught in parables where he's talked of, of the parable of, of the treasure hidden in a field and how that man went and bought that field so he could acquire that treasure. He also spoke of the parable of the pearl of great price and this guy had searched and searched and then he found that pearl of great price and it says that he went and sold all that he had. He gave up everything so that he could purchase that pearl. Do we have that kind of desire in our lives to know God's truth? What about it when it comes to the assembly here? Do we come each time with a hunger and an eagerness to learn? As we continue, Peter said that, I add, that we should add to our knowledge self-control. The King James uses the word temperance. The Strong's definition is the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially in sensual desires. Self-control is to have the power or dominion over oneself, especially regarding physical desires. It is personal restraint over emotions and desires. And you know, when we think about self-control, isn't that why we start at a very early age teaching children? We teach them, we discipline them so that they will learn the art of self-control. And that's something that we must ingrain in them so that we as adults have that same control. You know, specifically when I think about this subject of self-control, I think about what our world has done with something that God gave as a gift. God gave an intimate relationship as a gift within the bonds of marriage, but our world has taken that and has perverted it in every way possible. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 4, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. The thought process is here that God has given us the mind, the reasoning power to control those emotions that we have. When I think about self-control, I also think about moderation and restraint. Romans 6 verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I also think of discretion. 
Discretion is the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way to avoid causing offense or revealing private information. I want that, I want you to think about that and let it soak in just a little bit. Discretion. Discretion is something that our world has just totally given up. It's totally lost. I think of it this way, people want to live their lives out loud. They want to post everything they're doing, everything they're thinking on social media. They want to put it out there for everybody to see. There is no discretion in our uh, environment today. You know, social media and technology has given everyone a voice, a platform to be heard. And that is not always a bad thing. But just remember that we as Christians are a representation of Christ and of the church. Whether it's something we say, something that we write, all of these things are a representation of Christ and we need to be very careful about what we say and what we do. Proverbs 2 and 11, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you. When I think about this idea of self-control and this idea of uh, restraint and discretion, you know, it, it just comes down to this. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. I ran across this quote and I thought it was worth sharing. People of genius are admired, people of wealth are envied, people of power are feared, but only people of character are trusted. Peter said we need to add then to our self-control perseverance. Perseverance is persistence in doing something despite difficulty in, achi in achieving success. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, be there, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The King James uses the word patience. That means steadfastness, endurance, or constancy. The Strong says this, In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. You know, as I look out over this audience, I see numerous people that have done just that. They have experienced extreme difficulty in their life. They have experienced things that would break a lot of people. But they allowed their faith to guide them and to, to carry them through that and keep them moving forward. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Acts 20 where he said, I go bound unto Jerusalem. He said, all of these things have happened to me and now I'm, I'm bound. But he said, none of these things move me. He said, I don't count my life dear, but I, I continue to strive to do what God has, has allowed me to do. Next to perseverance, he says to add godliness. Godliness is reverent respect. It's the quality of being religious or reverent. Again, I think our life and everything that we should do should be a reflection of our faith. Titus 2, verses 12 through 14, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, 
looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. I especially appreciate the New King James rendering here where it says that he purifies for himself his own special people. Are we that kind of people? Are we special? Are we living for God? Or is there some hint of worldliness in what we do? When I think about godliness, I think about how we portray ourselves and, and specifically in the way that we dressed and the, the idea of modesty. First uh, Timothy 2 verses 9 and 10 says, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. We speak about modesty, and I re I'm reminded of a time when Clint Goodman was here, and he spoke on that subject specifically. And he said, you know, we can ask ourselves all day questions, and we can debate the issue about what's modest. But he said, this verse brings it down and, and brings it home to us. He said, does it profess godliness? Do we in our life and in our actions profess godliness? And you know, that applies to all of us. Godliness in the Bible is mainly used to describe a positive way of life where every action is influenced by God. Paul, in particular, uses the term more than any other source, and he says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, that bodily exercise profits little, but he said godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Next, we add to godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is brotherly love. In the New Testament, the love which Christians cherish for each other as brethren. Simply put, who do we prefer to spend our time with? Who do we hold dear as friends and fellowship with? Romans 12, verse 10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. You know, as I think about that, we are a family here, and what a great blessing that is. You know, this large group of people, we're family. And that being said, there are times that families have disagreements, don't they? And that's going to happen among brethren. But again, we need to have the kind of love that always draws us together. He, in Ephesians 4, verse 32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Even though as we as a large group of family have difficulties, we need to develop the mindset of kindness. Always be looking for opportunities to serve our Christian family. To brotherly kindness, then he says that finally we are to add love. And I hope that we can have this mental picture in our mind this morning that as Peter lays out this formula, again, the very foundation is faith, but then he says we add to it layer by layer. 
And I think when, when you look at the progression of that, he puts at the top of that list love. And he says all of these things are brought together in love. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I'm just simply a lot of noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. To me, those verses are so profound. He says it doesn't matter what we do. It all culminates in the love that we have for our fellow man and for our brother. He says if we don't have love, we've got nothing. So again, let's look at the progression of how we add these things into our life and how they all fit together and how they all work. Now in summation, I want to go back to our reading and, and bring out some points that I think will help us to make application to this. Back in verse 5, he said, but giving all diligence. Peter is reminding us that our life as a Christian takes great effort. That means earnestness and a zeal to live for Christ. We are to grow in knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that requires much effort. We don't just accidentally develop these graces. Luke 13 and verse 24, Strive to enter in through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. I like this reading because that word strive has a very, very deep meaning. That word strive means to struggle greatly. And that's what we've got to do in our Christian life. It's something that we must put our effort into each and every day. It's not, again, something that we do just by simply floating along. It's something that we are deliberately involved in every day. Back in 2 Peter 1, verse 8, he says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The ESV says, If these qualities are in you and increasing. So with that in mind, we come to the heart of Peter's point. If these qualities are yours and you're increasing in them, he says you will not become ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus. We cannot increase in sin, but on the contrary, we must be increasing in these graces. We need to make every effort to grow in each of these areas. And you know, it's no wonder why it's important to be fruitful. Jesus repeatedly taught the need to be fruitful, and he condemned Israel for its lack of fruitfulness. We recall the teaching that Christ gave in John 15 and verse 2, where he said, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may, give more, more, may bear more fruit. Also skipping down to verses 5 and 6, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So here's a great and precious promise that Jesus has given us. 
If we continue to increase in these qualities, we will not be useless, ineffective, fruitless branches that have to be cut off. We will have a transformed life and become the servants that God is developing us to be. The Word of God, that is, the knowledge of Jesus that changes lives will change us into fruitful and productive servants. But look at contrast the statement that he makes in verse 9. He says if we are lacking in these qualities and are not striving to improve in them, we are nearsighted that we are blind. What's he talking about here? He says if we don't incorporate these things into our life, he says we're nearsighted. I'm nearsighted, and that's why I wear glasses, but that's not what he's talking about, is it? He's talking about having the ability to look down the road. You know, my dad raised three boys, and I remember him saying, boys think about this far in front of their face. What was he saying? He's saying that boys are short-sighted. Let me give you an example of that. Having three boys of my own, there were always a lot of boys in my house and we enjoyed them being there. And, and a lot of those guys are in the audience this morning. And that's no reflection of what they are today because they've all become great young men, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But just to uh, show you what I'm talking about, boys are short-sighted. One particular time, there was a group of boys at the house, and they wanted to build a fire. And I thought I had taught them how to do that safely but they were out in the field and I happened to just walk by the kitchen window and I see a real small fire burning out in the field. And just as I looked up, then the, the flames leaped about 10 feet in the air. They had poured gasoline on a fire, hadn't they? That's short-sightedness. It worked, but they didn't think about what could be the consequence of their actions. And I think about that, and that's a funny story, but I look at my own life. I'm a grown man now. I'm 57 years old, and I realize there's times that I'm short-sighted. And I think we can all say that. We've got to have this ability to look into God's Word and allow it to help us to look down the road, so to speak. Again, back to our reading in, in 2 Peter, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, I like verses 10 and 11, and as we finish up here, I want to particularly uh, pay close attention here. How many times has Peter said, be diligent in these verses that we've read today? He said, when we do that, we make our calling and election sure. If we incorporate these things into our life, he says we will not fall. The King James, or he says stumble uh, in, in the New King James. In King James, it says fall. And that means to fall away. Peter's not saying that we're not going to make mistakes. 1 John 1 and verse 8 tells us that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But simply stating, if we have these things in our life and we continue to increase in them, 
They are going to keep us from falling away. Verse 11 is what I want us to key on. He says then, after that, he says, these things will keep us from falling away. He says in verse 11, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, until recently, I had not paid close attention to those verses. And to me, it's such an amazing promise when we look at this. It says that when we incorporate these things, when they are increasing, then we have a great assurance of that heavenly home that we are promised. So here's the conclusion this morning. We need to be all the more diligent to make our calling and election sure. We can't come to Christ, have our sins forgiven, and then just simply rest. Baptism is just the beginning. We need to be diligent and practice these qualities and look at the confidence and the consolation that we find there and the consolation we have in our effort. If we practice these qualities, if we are increasing in these things, Peter says that we have a twofold promise. First of all, he says we will never fall. And again, that's not that we won't sin, but he says, and he says we won't be perfect, but we are able to have a confidence that our salvation is secure. When we have doubts, the answer is right here in these scriptures. If we are increasing in these qualities and striving to practice them, we have assurance. Peter is teaching us to make this effort to increase in these qualities our highest priority. And second, by increasing in these qualities, a way has been provided so that we can, can enter that eternal kingdom. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Isn't that an amazing promise? Aren't those wonderful words for us to hear? We are citizens of that glorious kingdom of God. Can you imagine on that day when the gates of heaven are open and you and I are able to walk through those gates into the city of God? It's a picture of triumph, of celebration, and of welcome. We, at that point, we have reached the goal. We have received a crown. We are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. And as I look out over this audience this morning, I see people who are capable of doing that. We all have the ability to increase in these qualities and build upon these things in our life. And I look forward today to the day that we all are in heaven together. I hope the things that we've discussed here this morning have been a blessing to you. I hope they're an encouragement to you. And as we close the service this morning, we want to offer the Lord's invitation. If you're here and would like to respond to the gospel call, we would invite you to do that. If you're here this morning and the prayers of this group of saints here would be of assistance to you, we would ask anyone to come as we stand and sing.